It is time to bring it back to vulnerability, back to connection. Here on the How's Your Heart podcast, we chat weekly about the practical ways to deepen the relationship with ourselves and how to cultivate that with the people around us too. My name is Jess. I am the host here on the How's Your Heart podcast. And alongside some amazing guests together, we are here to create psychologically safe spaces and to put into practice asking more than just how are you. Instead, we're asking, how's your heart? Welcome back to the How's Your Heart podcast. My name is Jess. I am your host if we haven't met already. This is a podcast where we talk all about mental health, connection, and how to navigate our way through relationships as humans with complex emotions and colorful inner worlds. Today, I am joined by Bruce Sullivan. Bruce is the founder and leader of Your Best You, which has taken him across the world, educating and entertaining thousands of people on embracing ambiguity, creating engaged teams, emotional intelligence, and navigating relationships with different personalities. More importantly, though, Bruce is a hilarious, adventurous, and loving human who loves a good cocktail and making memories with people he loves. He is also my stepdad and someone who has encouraged me to grow and pursue this podcast. So I thought, what a better way to start off season three all about relationships than with someone who is so knowledgeable on the intersection between healing and relationships. Welcome, Brucey. Thank you. Jesse, <laughs> it's nice to be on your show, um, and I want to be able to say up front so everyone else can hear, um, we are just so proud of you in what you're doing to help the world get to know their heart and what that means. So it's a pleasure to be a part of this today. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I know I was talking to mum before and she was like, oh my gosh, it's such a privilege. People are literally begging and like emailing her being like, we want Bruce to come and like talk at our school and stuff. And so just very grateful <laughs> that I was able to snag you for a quick um, little Zoom call here. <laughs> easy look it's a privilege and I think I'm excited about the whole conversation around relationships with you um, relationships matter um, we live on a planet with about eight billion people so there's a good chance you're going to need to get on with someone and there are some people you want to get on with really really well so um, how do you navigate that very complex and at times simple concept called relationships so yeah nice to be able to join you today Oh, so good. So good. Um, I guess one of the main reasons for why I wanted you on the podcast is because you are so knowledgeable about that intersection between healing and relationships. I love your wisdom behind how you view relationships as something that's always a work in progress. But I think in this conversation, I really want to scale it back to the basics and really try and give the listeners a bit of a foundational I guess, segment on what relationships are. I know this is the first episode in season three, all about relationships, but in season two, we really dived into the self. So I kind of want to do that carry on, use the information and all the knowledge we gained from season two, and then implement that into our relationships. So I guess the first question to start off with is why do we need relationships? What is the point behind, like, why do we keep finding ourselves in these situations where we want to connect with people yeah look I think in all of my time studying researching experiencing uh, listening to other people's uh, real world experiences it's good to remind everyone that 
we're, we're mammals at heart. Um, we're meant to be herding and congregating and mobbing and joining together, not just to keep the species alive, but for safety and security and for culture and for relationships so that we have that sense of security in the, the group of humans that we get to be with. And I think that when we understand that, because, you know, some people tell me I don't like people. And I said, you couldn't have got here without people at some point you've got people everywhere in your world and if you don't like them what is it about you that you don't like that means you don't like people and yeah. you know there's an old Indian proverb and I don't know whether it's old or whether it's Indian but that's how it was explained to me um, that if you want to go far uh, no if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together and I just love whatever the origin of that quote is that as, as mammals, we're meant to belong, to hang out together. And so if we're out of them, we kind of have this sense at some point that imminent death is not far away. So, you know, not being included in the mob, in the herd, in the village means that once upon a time that would have been imminent death. So I think that we then, whether we like it or not, somehow are unconsciously drawn back to being a part of some group somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like that sense of belonging is so crucial for humans. Um, I I want to really get your definition on belonging because I know we talked about this before, but I was taught I was reading The End of Daring Greatly by Brene Brown and she was talking about the difference between belonging and just fitting in. And I thought it was really important, but I wanna I wanna know like what your opinion is on that. I think you can fit into lots of places. You know, if you're into cars, you could fit into a group of people that, you know, have this common interest, cars, football, yoga. You know, you might feel like I fit in because I've got an aligned set of interests on something. I think belonging is when the relationship steps into that space. I don't just fit in because there's a sameness. I fit in and I belong because I've, you know, I build a relationship with someone. I feel like I'm really looking forward to seeing not just your car or the next yoga session. I get to see you again. And there's that sense of belonging that established, which I still think from our research still is to do with our histories as mammals and whether you're a creationist or evolutionist, forever we've been needing to hang out together so that we can survive and thrive. And that belonging, that's the that's a pretty good feeling. That's yeah. addictive. We all know that therapy is one of the best ways we can actively work towards bettering our mental health. But what most of us have experienced is that this method can be inaccessible and a big step, especially if we're feeling really stuck. In my mental health journey, I found that sometimes the only person that needs to have your back is you. Luckily, there are more than one options for mental health support, and I wanted to share one of my favorite options with you guys. Prompted journaling is accessible, functional, and removes the need for a doctor's appointment. It is self-therapy. Over my years of journaling, I have hand-selected over 45 prompts and have now created a journal prompt guide that is available for free for all of you guys. Head on over to the Instagram at howsyourheartpod and click the bio link to receive your gift. I'm super excited to hear all of the ways this guide changes your lives and how it has deepened the relationship to yourself. Whether you are a beginner journaler or someone who is looking for more consistency and motivation, this ebook will be your go-to guide. I trust you'll enjoy it. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think, like, yeah, that addictive point, I think that's, like, probably we love that feeling of 
being yeah belonging of being safe of being I guess dependent on someone and having someone depend on us as well and I know we'll probably get into this in like further on (laughs) throughout the episode but talking about like that codependency can have such a negative connotation to it. But I think that's a massive factor in the sense of belonging when we have relationships and we're dependent on others for that safety and that sense of belonging. That's what can facilitate, I guess, a sense of calmness and like, I guess, self-love as well in there. I know I talked about this in my episode with Lauren, if you guys have listened to it, Um, but we talk about how, there's this rhetoric around needing to love yourself wholeheartedly before you dive into a relationship. And I think this is such an important um, like question to ask people. So it's such an interesting one as well. And like, I guess, what is your thoughts on that? Like, do you think you can get into a relationship if you don't wholeheartedly love yourself? Oh, look, the ego can play nasty tricks on us with that but also our fear can play nasty tricks on on that as well. And I, I think that the self-love piece is really, really important. And I also think in fairness to us, us as humans is that that will always be a work in progress. Um, and it's helped some people when I talk about more a genuine acceptance of who you are and where you are right now as opposed to the self-love piece. Sometimes find the language of self-love feeling a little facetious or ego-driven or, you know, quite often, you know, when I grew up, it was a negative conversation. I don't talk to her. She just loves herself. And I'm like going, that's not a bad thing, is it? If you love yourself, you kind of like who you are and you feel good about who you are and where you're up to at this point. And I think that when you can have that genuine acceptance, if it helps people go your self-love, a.k.a. known as just a genuine acceptance of who you are and that you've got some clear intentions about you want to what you want to try and achieve and who you want to be and you're working on that that's a that's a beautiful gift that you can give yourself and other people will benefit from that as well yeah that's mm. so true benefiting from it as well yeah that last part just like now on the yeah. head I feel like that just like made it all sink into place um what do you think is I know this is a little bit off topic. <laughs> um, what do you think was your like? Have you ever had a moment where you're like, yeah, okay, I just feel like I genuinely accept myself right now. And what does that look like for you? Um, quiet in my head. That's a really good question. Thank you. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. I think when you get to that point of genuine acceptance, there, there's enough self-respect and self-love that you can go I'm okay enough today or I'm okay enough right now that there's just this quiet there's this beautiful calm and this peace and you you run out of the should words and I think should is such a toxic word and everyone finds themselves and we've all been there you know I should have done that or I should have been more patient or I should have been more helpful I should have given that person more time and you've got all this self-criticism linked to the should when you can get that to a point of well I didn't and I can accept that I didn't and I'm here now what can I do now yeah and you excuse me you accept that you know I failed I I aired which is inevitable as a human being and stop the shooting like some people shoot all over themselves all day 
I should have, you should have, he should have, the boss should have done that, the customer should have done that, my friend should have told me that. Well, well they didn't. And you're here now, right now. What, what do you want to do now? And I think I've said that to myself at least a couple of hundred million times. Um, I didn't. They didn't. I'm here now. What, what can I do now? As opposed to this constant, oh, I should have done that and I should have done that. So I think when I'm in that place of genuine acceptance, not ignorance, genuine acceptance, knowing most of the facts and most of the feelings in my heart right now, I go, I'm okay enough. And there's a quiet, calm, I don't feel like I have to embark on the next piece of personal development just right now. I can, I can yeah, accept right. who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I guess taking that into um, relationships as well, into this kind of whole conversation that I hear this a lot, oh, like I should be in a relationship by now or um, I should have been with this person or I should have said um, I love you to that person so that we could have stayed together and all of that rhetoric. But when it comes down to, I guess, what we really mean by those should words is I really desire a good relationship because we could be in a relationship with a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. but whether that's a good thing or not, I think that determ- that really is what we're trying to say when we say oh, I should be in a relationship we sh- what we're trying to say is mm. I wish I was in a really good relationship right now um so I guess what yeah. I want to ask you is what are the factors in your experience and also in your research um that make up a healthy relationship yeah look, gosh you got good questions Jess I think for me the, the starting point, and I love to take people back to a job interview. When you're at the job interview, you are this best version of you. You are the most patient, helpful, gracious, curious, well-researched, well-prepared, nothing's too much trouble human being. Very much like when you're on a first date. I, you know, I ask people, like, what were the things that you did in preparation for on a or on a first date or the first dates that you wouldn't have done if you're out with a group of your regular friends. And it cracks me up. You know, people say, oh, I would have had a shower before I went or, you know, when I put the aftershave or the perfume on, I wouldn't just have dabbed it on. I would have sprayed it up into a mist in the air and I would have rolled around in the mist and let it go all over my body. And, you know, I wouldn't have eaten as much food as I normally would um, on the first date as if I had been out with a group of regular friends. And what our research has shown us it only takes about 12 weeks in the job interview or from the job interview getting the job or 12 weeks into that personal relationship where instead of having the shower, you just do a degrease and a respray. You go, that'll do. I'll back the deodorant in for 48 hours and I'll just pad down or just degrease or repowder up or, you know, you eat everything you possibly can. Now um, you have two scoops of ice cream and three pieces of pavlova because you're 12 weeks in or, you know, some of those behaviours change. You pick up that aftershave or perfume, you go, that's 80 bucks a bottle, even at the chemist warehouse. I don't think so. And you either just opt out of that or you stop doing that and I was curious about why what was the thing that at the beginning of the relationship you put all of that effort in and then 12 weeks later maybe you weren't and it was really clear that at the job interview or the first date people had a really clear intention so at the job interview 
good impression, get a second interview, see if I like the company and the people that I might be working for at the first date, apart for some people thinking all the obvious other things. It was good impression, see if I like them, see if they like me. Both circumstances with a little bit of eustress, the EU stress, not the distress, so that positive elements of stress to go, geez, I want to make a good impression, I want this to go well. There's always that extra little bit of stress at the beginning. But the thing that drops off is that you ask people in 12 weeks' time, you know, what do you want to be famous for in this job? You know, what's your intention? What do you want your reputation to be? And people look at you like, you're a weirdo like what do you want for this relationship today or tonight tomorrow you know when was the last time you pulled up in the threshold to uh meeting your family or your partner or your workplace and thought what do I want to be famous for no no one's ever going to say oh I want to be famous for being impatient ungrateful and nitpicky yet they may go inside to whatever their relationships look like and be those three things. And yet no one would ever say out loud they wanted to do that as an intention. You know, at the first dates in the beginning, you've got really clear, beautiful intentions and that's all you can think about. And then you do whatever is required to back up that intention. So what do you actually want every day and how do you remind yourself every day? You know, what do I want to be famous for today? I want to be famous for being patient and helpful and funny that's what I'm going to go for today. Or, you know, I want to be a really good problem solver. I want to be anticipating people's needs and I just want to be grateful for what people do for me today. It sets up a different day. It sets up a different relationship. If every day you could remind yourself about those intentions, changes it, it increases the risk that you behave in a way that's consistent with the intention. Yeah, absolutely. Choosing how you want to show yeah. up and then following through with that. And I love the example of the job for sure because I feel like there's a lot of times we can rock up to our jobs and we're sitting in the car or we're sitting at the bus station and we're like, I don't want to do this again. Oh, I could not be bothered. I just want to go on to, um, what is it, like cruise control and just like skate through the day-to-day. I don't even really want to show up. And I find that in a lot of relationships, mm. specifically long-term, whether they are with your family or they're with your friends or they're with your romantic interests, um, they can tend to just, I guess, come out of that honeymoon phase. Maybe the honeymoon phase is 12 weeks, like you said. <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, but choosing to intentionally pursue what you initially set out to do is, um, yeah, I completely agree, one of, like, a key factor in what makes up a healthy relationship. Have you got any others? Um, look, I think I, I love to harp on, and it sounds like I do, about that intentionality piece. Yeah. When you do the intentions regularly, it's like a shopping list, right? So if you write it, you know, you and I were going to go and get dinner. We agree that we're going to cook dinner for the family tonight. And then and you said, I'll come with you. And we're down at Woolies. And I wrote on the list that we need milk, bread, apples, cheese, and some chicken. It would be really weird if on the written list that I wrote down that we wanted those five things, those five, we are intending to buy those five, five things that I would look at you when we got to the cheese and go, well, Jess, we won't be getting any cheese today. You would look at me and go, what? No, there'd be this question mark. You just write it down. Um, and we just can't, we need the cheese for dinner and you've got it on the list. It would be weird that you didn't behave in a way that was consistent with the intention. So I want to just really reinforce that it's 
really cool to remind yourself regularly about what your intentions are because ultimately there's going to be plenty of distractions, life, tired, emotions, all of those things. So the better you get at being clear on the intention, you probably don't need any training on how to be those things. You can already do it. It's just how do you build the habit of reminding yourself of that intention so that the behaviour follows suit? Yeah, how do you keep that consistency rolling even during the times when you don't feel like it? Yeah, and I think that's the key and that's where intentions come in. I was coaching someone this morning, um, a friend that was having a bit of a tough time, and I said, what do you actually want in this relationship? And he said, well, I know what I don't want. And I said, that's kind of normal. Rarely do people know what they want, you know. Well, geez, I don't want to be single. Well, what would a good relationship look like? I don't know. I just don't want to be single. And so I satisfy the goal of not being single versus getting really intentional about what's the relationship that I would like. What, who would I want to be? Going back to your previous series, like who do I want to be as myself so that I can be more likely to be looking for someone who's got the qualities that I'm intending to be, that I want to be, who's the person that I could be attracted to, that I've got a clear list of intentions. That's the kind of relationship I would want, um, which kind of leads me to that second thing. If there was a second thing, I, I think this issue of psychological safety, you, you you mentioned it before, Jess, like in that how good does it feel to belong and you, you use safety as a term and I think that it gets, it's sad when people cannot feel safe in their mob. And obviously, you know, at the extreme end of that is there's, you know, domestic family violence, there's bullying at work or in school places or bullying on social media. Ideally, for us to have a really good relationship, there's this sense of safety. I just know that you've got my back. I've got your back. You do your thing for the village. I do my thing for the village. Or we do what we do for each other in that family setting, in that personal relationship. I've got your back. No matter what, I'm going to have your back. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to be curious, not critical. How do you be the person that... Look, so for example, Jess, you've never <laughs> and and hopefully never rung me from the police station like at midnight to say, come and get me. But what's the reason I know that you would ring me is that, you know, you're not going to get criticised, that you're going to get support, that you're going to get help. If I'm the person, you know, who's at the watch house for whatever reason, I'm going to look in my phone, who's the person I know that's got my back, that I feel safe with, I'm personally embarrassed, I've had way too many drinks and I'm going to, you know, ring someone and say, hey, um, mate, can you just come and get me? I'm at the police station. Uh, what happened? Long story. Well, where are you? What else, what else do you need? Um, I need $500. Okay, that's great. I'll see you in about half an hour. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You, you better bring some clothes too. Yeah, okay, so $500 and some clothes, that'd be great. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and I know I'm not going to get the lecture. I'm not going to get the criticise. I'm not going to get smashed. I've done something stupid and I think... For me, I have this theory is that by the time we were about 11, we discovered that there were so many things wrong with us. We were too tall, too short, too dumb, too fat, too skinny, too slow, too fast. Like we were already getting kind of down on ourselves for all the things that we weren't. 
And we had this inkling that we were an idiot. And we one day get embarrassed at school and we finally realise that, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. Now everyone else knows that I'm an idiot and then I don't want anyone else ever again out of fear to find out that I'm an idiot. Um, and yet what's one of the most beautiful paradoxes in life? Who are the people in our world that we have the most amazing relationships with in terms of intellectual and emotional intimacy, the two base level intimacies that set up for a really good relationship, emotionally intimate, intellectually intimate, they're the people that become our best friends in life. They're the people that go, well, I know he's an idiot. And I go, well, I know they're an idiot too, but we both agree not to say anything. We go, when you make a mistake, when it's your turn to be an idiot, um, I learned two questions. So I didn't have to turn out like my dad. My dad was the most critical human being on the planet. So the two questions that I would ask myself to ask others was, okay, what's happening here? How can I help? Someone hurts themselves. What happened, son? Oh, I stuck my finger in the door, dad. How can I help? Probably ice. Now, rest, ice, compression, elevation. You know, my daughter spills milk when she's learning how to pour. Instead of, like, focusing on the fact that she made a mistake and now there's milk everywhere, what's actually happening here? She's learning how to pour. She's developing independence. That's really cool. They're her intentions. She has good intentions. I know that she was just trying to do the right thing and she made a mistake. How can I help? I could probably get some paper towel and I could help her learn how to do some cleaning up. Like, that's a better thing. You ring me from the police station at midnight. What's going on, Jess? Um, wow, how can I help? I need $500. Come and get me. Um, that's yeah. kind of that scenario. And I think the real test of that, and we'll all fail and we'll all make mistakes and do silly things. Do I have this intention to be in this loving relationship with you? enough to go hey what's happening how can i help yeah trying to yeah display your idiocy all over the place and you know it was just your turn <laughs> i'll have a turn when it's your turn it's best if i can come to you with this really keen attitude of curiosity what happened how can i yeah. help with passion and some support as opposed to kangaroo impersonations how did you do that? You know, like what on earth were you thinking? You should have done this and you should have done that. And then I go and shoot all over you. Nobody wants that when they make a mistake. No, they just no. want a nice, safe. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, I guess, relationships from that perspective and really putting those two key factors in the front of our mind. Relationships are the intention to like connect with someone and to show up for someone as your most human self as someone who makes mm. mistakes, who is flawed, who has at some stages a whirlwind of emotions going through them and um, <laughs> feeling safe in that, like having mm. the intention to show up as human as you possibly can and knowing that that, in that intention and that practice of that is safe because I know at least for a lot of us, our close relationships are the ones we feel so um, safe around and, like, we don't need to put up that facade. Um, I guess what I want to ask you from there is how do we yeah. cultivate that? Like, how do we show up with intention and then how do we make sure that we are, A, making a safe psychological space for someone else, but also, B, how do we know and how do we recognise when we are in a psychologically safe relationship i i think writing it down is important you know we'd spend five minutes say to write a shopping list 
because you don't want to waste that 20 minutes at the at the center you don't want to get home and go oh i forgot that or i didn't do that i meant to do that whether you're a list writer or not there's value in writing it down so you can remember because this is what i want i'm not focused on what i don't want i'm focused on what i want i write it down it's important i don't want to burn that 20 minutes or have to go back again and maybe burn another 20 minutes because i still forgot what i needed to so when it comes to that relationship whatever the one you're in you know how you contribute to your your local footy club how do you contribute to the family how do you contribute to your team how do you contribute to a intimate relationship what's your intention what are we actually wanting to achieve in that space? And I think it helps. How do you really cultivate that? I, I always ask people to think not so much about what you would need to do to cultivate that, but what does it mean when you do it well? What does it mean if I walk in to mum, to my beautiful wife, and come with a real intention to be helpful and grateful? What does it mean? No matter what her day is, my heart's open to learning, to sensing what's needed most here. Is it a hug? Is it compassion? Is it words? Is it silence? If the intention is to be that for her, whew, sorry, getting a little emotion saying that out. What does it mean for the person? Um, what does it mean at work if I'm curious, not critical? It just means that that person can come and ask me anything and they know they're going to get someone who's not going to make them feel like an idiot. It's like no matter what they're asking, I'm going to go, okay, that's cool. Yeah, look, and I'm going to give a beautiful, calm response that's going to help them progress their work or improve their task or improve their relationship with a customer or whatever their request is. So what does it mean? And then so what does that mean? Well, it means that that relationship with that person improves. It means that maybe when I'm not having my best day, because I'm role modeling that, they may offer that back to me, a calm, curious response as opposed to a critical finger pointing should, should, should conversation. I get, a, oh, are you okay? No, I'm really struggling with this and I'm not sure. Okay, well, how could I help with that? You know, like there's the beginning of reciprocity in the relationship. You know, you role model to someone that it's possible, even under the pressure, and then having those that bridging just even if you were thinking every time what happened how can I help every time you walk into a moment I wonder what's actually happening here for this person I wonder how I could help whether it's your partner in life whether it's your children the neighbor which is where I was this morning having a chat with him you know what's actually happening how could I help and it, it just it's it's an easy shortcut having this memorable phrase even curious not critical What's happening here? How can I help? What's the positive intention for this person? It's what it means. I think that's what cultivates it for me. You know, what does it mean if I have the salad instead of the chips? Well, if I'm going to have the hot chips, it means right now it's going to feel really good for 20 minutes, but in an hour and a half time, I'm going to wish I had the salad. So I think about what does it mean to have the salad? It's easier than to have the salad. What does it mean to be patient and kind? It means reciprocity. It means a safer workplace. It means that people may start offering me some of those things back. No guarantee, but it certainly increases the chance that that might happen. Mm.
I want to make sure that makes sense because I think yeah, if we, it's cultivating that intentionality, it's not just the yeah. intention, but what's the impact of that? You know, if I walked into a home and I said to, you know, your mum, hey, what's going on? How can I help? There's a different impact of walking into a relationship, say, you know, and saying to your partner, um, well, you've been home for three hours. How come you haven't bathed the kids or taken the clothes off the line yet? Like you're going to get a different impact yeah. when you criticise people shut down, they feel unsafe, maybe they'll start to distance themselves, there's an impact on the trust, I feel like that I don't even want to see you or be with you and so I don't want to be in that space because what's going to happen, it's just I'm going to be criticised and then there's the distancing and then you self-select out of that relationship or that tribe or that mob because it's unsafe, yeah. Oh, just even what you said before, like you start to distance yourself from someone um, when it turns into that critical part. And I know, I knew that we wouldn't bring this question up until like the last few moments of the podcast, but I thought I'd just bring it up now because I think it fits in so well. Sometimes they enter into relationships because they like the idea or the potential of someone and they kind of see it as a project. And I want to know your thoughts on how that connects with curious versus critical because in one sense they're curious as to how this person can grow and maybe how they can grow together but it turns into a critical relationship and they show up critically because they're like, you should be like this. You Mm, should show up like this. So I want to know what your thoughts are and I guess um, how we can, like what are the red flags for when that kind of becomes more critical than curious? Yeah, I think I pay attention to the red flags. There's even a reason why we call them red flags. And on reflection, I'm listening to the tape in my head that was popping up when you said, like, what do you do when that happens? The first two words that came up was run away um, and 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 question that. Now, I'm not into... You know, when dissatisfaction comes in a relationship, dissatisfaction is normal. You know, there's always the first date phase, which is amazing. And I always thought, wouldn't it be great if it just got better after that, not worse? And yet I also recognise when humans come together, there's this dissatisfaction stage. What is it? What's the thing that, you know, you leave the toilet seat up or down or you know, put the toilet roll on or how come you never put the new milk at the back? You put it at the front and all these little things that just start to come in and they become the main part of the relationship. And I think if dissatisfaction is normal, the next piece is also normal in relationships or it can be, and that's the resolution. So if these red flags are appearing, if it feels like that you're entering into almost this parent-child relationship and not an adult-adult relationship where someone's like feeling like they're the naughty child or the irresponsible child and then they're getting criticised by the cranky parent, that's a really dangerous place to be. We could do a whole podcast on that conversation. Yet yeah. noticing it and then being able to go back to your intention. What did I want here? I wanted a relationship, and again, I'm here's the focus on what you want versus what you don't want. Oh, well, I don't want any of those things. I don't want to be just criticised or I don't want to be always on the end of that. Well, what do you want and how clearly can you communicate that to you and even your partner? 
this is what I'm ideally wanting in a relationship is when there's dissatisfaction, we can accept that it's normal. I'm wanting to be in a relationship where we can both accept that we will take it in turns to do dumb things. And when it's your turn, it's your turn. When it's my turn, it's my turn. And we get around each other and go, hey, what's happening here? How can I help? That would be a much better conversation than you should have done that and you should have done that. Well, I didn't and we're here now. The intention for this relationship is loving and kind and helpful. What do we need to talk about? Like, what do you need? What do I need? Yeah. Do we need to set up a feedback? Because I don't want to be annoying you. If that's annoying you, that's not part of my intention. Yeah. Um, I didn't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to just leave that dishwasher full and unempty because I know that's going to give you a heart attack and some stroke type thinking. It's like, no, I didn't do that. So why are you so attached to having it empty? And what happens when I forget? Like, how do you just bring all of that into that? So without ever losing sight of the intention. So if it starts to get back to the you should bit, it's almost how do you fight fair? It's like, I want this happy, healthy, loving, long-term relationship with you. That was the intention. And all relationships at some point start with a bit of an experiment mindset to go, oh, could this be and maybe it could be and do I stay open to that and keep my heart open to possibility and my mind open to possibility? And then when the dissatisfaction turns up and those red flags emerge, getting the conversation on yeah. the table around and, and the impact. Yeah. You know, it's, it's when you criticise me about that versus going, geez, maybe she was busy this morning and didn't get a chance to do the dishwasher because we'd agreed that was your job. Well, that's okay. Hey, just check in. Or if you want it emptied right now, just empty it maybe and then there'll be a bit of grace. You'll bring, bring some courteous goodwill into that relationship and yeah. that's not unhelpful either. So I think addressing it and not hoping it may fix itself. Quite often people don't ask for what they need. They'd rather resent people for not reading their mind. And I think it's better to ask for what you need versus resenting. Well, she yeah. should have done that. I'll tell everyone else. I'll tell my mates, tell the girlfriends, tell everyone else. She should have, he should have, and he doesn't, and it's just sending me crazy. It's like you're telling all the wrong people. Um, yeah. Do you want a rant what, or do you want a resolution? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and sometimes that. you need both. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you need a rant to be able to come to a possible resolution or to realise there is a resolution for it. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. that part you said about being able to communicate our dissatisfactions clearly because quite yeah. often, um, or even our intentions clearly, because quite often um, we find ourselves in relationships where Number one, our intentions aren't clear. We don't actually know what we want from the relationship. We just know that yeah. the situation we're in now is better than we were when we were single or when we were without friends or we were if we, I don't know, didn't have contact with a toxic parent or something like that. Like it's better to say that you have that rather than address the quality of that. And so I think that is so important about communicating what we actually want from that relationship and having that intention um, because that's when we can start, like, I guess, road mapping the journey 
of the relationship Mm. so much better because everything's out on the table. We have all the tools that we have. We've got everything in our backpack, everything we've learnt, and all of our baggage as well. On top of that, all of our tools. Like if we're thinking about we're going on an adventure, we're going on a massive hike with someone in this relationship, we, you know, there might be an end point, but also we might be on this trek for a long time. So let's set ourselves up for success and like actually start clearly communicating what we want from it mm. and also it not viewing them as a project but also as I guess when we like engage in a relationship they're not the thing we should be fixing we should be yeah. like both entering a <clears throat> project together both entering that experiment like you said mm. together as scientists and just seeing what comes out of it I guess yeah, and still with coming back to what would it mean if we could do it well? What would yeah. it mean if we were both prepared to adapt and compromise and respectfully think about what could we do to help? And I think the more you help people get what they want, the more you'll get what you want. And it's not like you're doing it expecting a reciprocity, but someone didn't empty the dishwasher. It's not the ending of your life. It was just the ending of your life expecting the dishwasher empty and the beginning of your life with it being full. It's not the ending of your life. So how do you have a useful response to that? How do you control and not your own response? So that's working on you. So that's not just such the big deal. It's like I couldn't be in a relationship with this person because they don't know how to do that. Where's the chat? Where's the conversation that centres on intention and the impact of that, the impact's the meaning bit. What will it mean for them today? What's going on for them? That's that curious thing. I wonder how I could help. Oh, that's right. They had that really big meeting on this morning. Uh, We actually both slept in. Uh, We were running late. I start later. Like instead of just wanting to criticise it or make it this, this is the centre of our relationship, there are things that are far more important in terms of the intimacy, the intellectual intellectual and emotional intimacy, the safety that comes from that and recognising that we're, we're trying to do this together. Um, the intention is to have this loving relationship. And I think last thing on that for me is that normally the intentions come out in the end if people are yelling and screaming at each other, they come out at the end. Instead of how do they come out wonderfully and calmly and lovingly at the beginning? You know, I want to have this great relationship with you. I personally don't want to be focused on the nitty-gritty bits of the household. However, I recognise it's my intention to make sure that that's not a distraction for our relationship. I don't want those things to be the centre of our universe. My intention is to be focusing on us and each other and our hearts and our minds and our dreams and our desires for that's the conversation, not the other things versus at the end, well, I was just trying to help. You didn't know, you didn't care, you didn't do, you know, I just want to have this great relationship and I just want us to be focused on us and each other and not just some of those little nitpicky things that really whatever, you know, and it comes out at the end all exasperated instead of how do you regularly come back to that on a regular basis? How do you be clear on the intention and what it means to do that? Would you you suggest that regular coming back to the intention as like a date night thing like is that 
well, not even necessarily like a date night, but because we can talk about this also in relation to like friendships and in our families and stuff like that. For anyone living at home, that dishwasher example fits perfectly if you're living with family um, because it's so easy to slip into that parent-child that we'll get into in just a second. But um, I guess how would you suggest that people um, keep coming back to that intentionality piece? Like uh, on every a chance you can, yeah, every chance. Another thousand times. It's it's the random text message. I love you. You know, I want to grow old with you, or you know, um, I think it's amazing. And you know how we just intend to keep having each other's back. I love how we just keep having each other's back. So I love how we'll ask questions and not criticize each other because we want to build that intimacy. Every chance you can, email, the text message, the little post-it note stuck in the lunchbox, the, you know, my intention, even a parent to a child, you know, hey, the intention is for you to live a beautiful, happy life and well done on making your lunch today. That's a necessary skill. Um, you know, like it, it it just any chance you can to to link the conversation around intention and impact and not the behaviour bit. Because we yeah. get so caught up in the you didn't do this and you didn't do that and she should have said that and she didn't in and it's all in that behavior as opposed to when we do this well it means that no matter what day you've had today you can come and sit on the couch and know that you're not going to get a lecture you're going to get compassion and curiosity not criticism and not good enough so mm-hmm. Mostly, 95% of the time, except on the day where I've had a really bad day and I've got nothing left and I'm sitting there and I got there first and I'm still sulking about how bad my life and then we end up playing who's had the worst day competition and no one ever wins that competition. Um, How do you get through that as quick as you can so you can get back to the engine piece again? Absolutely. Mm. What just clicked for me when you said the letterbox, oh, sorry, the letters in the lunchbox um, was like words of affirmation. Because I know mum used to do that for like a year when I was in preschool, primary school, whatever. And my love language (laughs) is words of affirmation. And so that really hit home for me because like that intention was so clear. She was treating Mm. me in the way that I wanted to be loved. And so I think even that connection that adds on there too when you have fostered a relationship with someone and maybe you've realised their love language or you've had that conversation, showing that intention through mm. their love language and showing and treating them like they would like to be treated um, could also yeah. be a way to start implementing that. So for if you're using like that dishwasher example and the intention is to make them feel secure and valued in the household. If they forgot to do the dishwasher, undoing that for them could potentially be like, it's okay, you're still valued here. Even if you don't do the job all the time, you're still like just your existence is still so valued. So like even that, like the links just like did up for me in my head then. I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah. um, Makes so much sense. Yeah, and, the, you know, what's the other person's intention? And yeah. I think when both parties, particularly in those relationships, when you get both really clear on your individual and joint intentions, what are we trying to do in this a friendship or this intimate relationship, what's their intention? Oh, the intention is for wait for you to not empty the dishwasher so I can criticise for you and make this the, the centre of our relationship. 
not not a good place to be. No one would ever say that's their intention, but that's why it's so important to come back to that. Like, how do you want to impact this relationship? What do you mm-hmm. want that to be? Oh, well, she should have done it. It's her thing. Now you sound like a child or a critical parent as opposed yeah. to how do you move into this adult adult framework of transacting with each other. Eric Byrne, the creator of that model, transactional analysis, the parent-adult-child, worth a look, Google it and see what you can find just to help deepen your understanding about how toxic it can be for adults to be always just transacting in that parent-child space. Yeah, so, I think let's just dive into a bit more in that because I think – that is oh. such a obviously it's such a deep topic and we could do a whole episode on it and maybe we mm. will <laughs> um, <laughs> if the listeners feel unlucky. Um, but let's dive into I guess what we want to strive to be in our relationships. And I know you've brought up parent, adult, child a lot in this episode. Um, so I guess let's just define those to start off with, and then we can dive into how yeah. they um, show up in our I guess how we show up in our relationships. Yeah, look, uh, I loved the model. It was the early 60s. I wasn't quite born just then, yet um, I learned as an adult about this model. And he talked about that we'll be transacting regardless of our age as parents, two types of parents, the critical parent or the nurturing parent. So you can see a four-year-old go, oh, there, there, come here, let me get a Band-Aid. Or you can see a four-year-old with their finger out pointing at people. Now, if you don't pick up those toys, there's going to be trouble. So whether their parents ever did it or not, it's kind of in us. And that was Byrne's argument. Like we were transact as a parent, critical or nurturing. We have the opportunity to be that mature adult, adult version where we're having good, logical, heartfelt, open, intimate conversations. And then the child, there were three types of the child, the free spirit. That was the one that wants to go and, you know, grab M&Ms and flick them off the veranda and just see if you could hit anyone with them. That's the fun, playful, free spirit child. There's the adapted child, which is the one that doesn't want to be in trouble, does what they're told, um, forgets their own thoughts. They're just focused on making sure that whoever is in charge, that they're subordinating all of their opinions and thinking to that. So it's all nice and smooth and wonderful. And then the little professor, which it's kind of that one that's a bit standoffish, wondering what's going on. And you can see adults doing that at a barbecue, not just three-year-olds when they're meeting new people going, oh, what's happening here? So, you know, that's that little part of us that's unsure and uncertain. And when you transact together, it's good when you're adult, adult, that's good. But what if one person wants to be the critical parent and the other wants to set the intention and have the conversation and talk through it and get a resolution? That's complicated. What if someone doesn't even really want to talk about it? You want to have this good, robust adult, adult conversation, but then the nurturing parent doesn't, oh, look, you know, it's all going to be okay. We love each other and it's all going to be fine. And meanwhile, big piles of resentment are building up in the adult who's going, oh, I really want to talk about this. Hoping is not a management strategy. We can't hope this away that it might just dissolve. Talking about it may help it dissolve. Getting really clear about that may help it dissolve. So as soon as you've got people not transacting the same, for example, someone being the critical parent and someone just being the free spirit child, I don't care. What time did you get home? Oh, whenever, you know, yeah, I know they were really upset I got home late, but too bad. You know, it was just, just it was Friday night. What do you expect? And it's like, well, maybe the courtesy of an adult, adult 
conversation. Um, maybe like, can we discuss what's happening here or not? Not that we in the approval and you hear it in people's language. I'll just have to check with the boss. I need to oh, see if I've got enough pocket money for that. Who gets pocket money? Children, who has to check with the boss? You know, the parent-child thing emerges. And in all of my experiences as counsellor and as human being, whew, I hear the language and quite often it's this people settle into this constant critical parent, adapted child or free spirit child. And it goes backwards and forwards. There's no real gender bias. I've seen it both ways in that space. And it's damaging. And mm-hmm. normally particularly when you've got that critical parent and the adapted child who just doesn't want to get in trouble, then you see the crazy things happen. They just walk out one day, they go and have 16 affairs, they go and just quit their job and quit everything and run away and the free spirit child comes out and you just go, hmm, it's still not conducive to a good long-term relationship. So I think for people listening, listen to the language. Sometimes language is the the cue oh it's like i've got four children but only uh, you only have three children oh no my partner that's the fourth child they're just like a child and i feel like i just have to keep looking after them all the time and 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 you hear it in the conversation so just need to check i've seen adults paranoid that they're going to be five minutes late home from work where the adult adult conversation, hey, Jesse, um, hey, I know we're catching up at seven, but I'm probably going to be 10 minutes late, got caught up in a conversation. Hey, no dramas. Do you want me to order on tray? Yeah, that'd be great. That's the end of the conversation, as opposed to the person who is absolutely petrified that they're going to be in trouble because they'll be in trouble from the critical parent if they're 10 minutes late home. Does that make sense? Yeah. And absolutely. I'm not talking about behave away regularly into irresponsible places. That's a dissatisfaction that needs a resolution conversation. But you, you can listen to that in the language, and that's another red flag, if you like. Yeah. So even just reflecting on your own, I guess, thought patterns and how you show up in your relationship. Um do you think that if you, for example, if a listener was reflecting on how they show up in their relationship and they're like, oh, I really identify with that adaptive child of being really fearful of the other person in the relationship for fear of being scrutinised or criticised, um, in trouble, like you say, um, I guess would you assume that the other person is that, uh, um, I guess, what is the other one, adult? the mm-hmm. Yeah, the adult, the adult adult. Would be, you, yeah, assume that they are the critical, critical adult, par- critical parent, yeah. Mm, the critical um, parent. Or yeah. can you yeah. be an adult in a relationship with a adaptive child? Like does it does one dictate the other? Do one usually get drawn towards each other? Um, yeah, how does that work? Yeah, look, it can. And, you know, we've got all of our histories that we bring into any relationship, our family of origin, the things we've learned, the things we've experienced, the things that we've encoded that are just not helpful. So, you know, sometimes our intuition or our feelings can be unhelpful because we're just used to feeling those things and we're just used to thinking those things and it's more a habit than an actual fact or it's sometimes just a a feeling, like if I do that, I'll be in trouble. So I'm just in the habit of feeling that which when you become aware, if you're like, for example, the adult with always the person being the adapted child, 
why don't you just tell me what you're really thinking? Why don't you make a decision? Um, you know, I don't want a child. I want another someone to share my life with me. I don't want you just to be my subordinates, so to speak, or I don't want to be this parent-child. I want an adult-adult relationship. And it may have started okay because it just seemed like that person was so cooperative and helpful and willing to fit in and go along, and then you realise they were actually just subordinating. They don't want to have an opinion or they don't want to initiate. They don't want to be the person because they don't want to be in trouble. So they just assume that. And so you can assume all these different roles and it's just one model to help make understanding a little easier about where you might be. So mm. I would normally say that at some point someone's got to stop being the parent, someone's got to stop being the child and you come together in the middle. Yeah, I mean, you come in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Learn to grow the, from the each of those extremes. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. I think also I want to dive into your I, I want to say theory. Almost yeah, theory. Um as to your top and bottom draw. Um <laughs> I guess thinking behind how we show up in relationships. Um so if you could dive yeah. into top and bottom drawer, let's go for it. Yep. Okay. Look, there's been many different ways over the history of recorded humankind about how people make sense of this. But what do we love from the neuroscience is we now know so much more about the brain. And once you and I set up neural pathways, they're locked in. And till you make a conscious effort to set up a new pathway, you can change yourself and your thinking you can rewire our brain you don't have to wait for a stroke to discover neuroplasticity you can actually set up new patterns of behavior and when life happens in one three hundredths of a second you're going to either go to the top drawer or the bottom drawer so you know when you go to the fridge at work and there's no milk milk in the fridge you could go to the bottom drawer put the cranky pants on and go oh I'm the only person who buys milk in the place. You walk past two of your workmates and go, oh, when was the last time you bought milk? No, not ever. No, always me. Oh. And you have this bottom drawer moment, cranky pants on, cynical, resentful, unfeeling, negative, complaining, the least best version of you. Or in one three hundredths of a second, your default is straight to the top drawer and the best version of you happens. Oh, no milk. I've been trying to keep that lactose down. I think I might have a hurdle. That's a good idea. Or I need a walk. I might just go and grab some. Or I'll just go and buy a coffee instead. Like it's not the ending of the world. It's just the ending of your life with milk and the beginning of your life without milk. And so how do you offer a really helpful, emotionally intelligent response for your own personal benefit first in terms of your physical and mental health? Because every time you go to the bottom drawer, adrenaline, free-flowing fatty acids in your bloodstream, just literally clogging up your arteries because you don't burn up all of those free-flowing um, sugars. And then cortisol dumbing down your executive function. So you basically end up stupid, more stupid than you were before the incident because you've lost access to your prefrontal cortex, your, your neocortex, and then your limbic system. You, you could be five to seven hours in that space before that clears again which is just not good for your own physical and mental health. And you're certainly not safe to be with in that space. So how do you start looking at all those things? You know, the dishwasher is not empty, going back to that scenario. What's your top drawer response to that, not the bottom drawer one? And instead of even going to the bottom drawer, this is the working on yourself piece. Why do you have a story that says there should always be milk in the fridge and you should never buy it? 
What's the and top what stories, stories are you telling yourself? And then how are they mm. affecting the way you show up in your relationship? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even that, like, so the, everyone you go. I was just going to say to everyone listening, if you've got things that are triggering you off to the bottom drawer, then it's time to uh, literally write the list of those things because what's your intention? What do you want? I want to live a long, healthy, happy life. I want to be a safe mammal. I want people to see my face and know that I'm here to help, not to hurt, that I'm friend, not foe. And again, assuming you want a good relationship, mammals, we've been picking up those clues for thousands of years. Friend or foe, you here to help or hurt. And so the more top draw you are, the more curious, helpful, responsive, problem solving, compassionate you are, um, that makes you a good mammal. You're you're a good go-to human being in this grouping of human beings. And it's better for your own physical and mental health and it's better for everyone else's. So start writing those things down and coming up with a new story. If I want milk, I buy milk. Much yeah. better story than there should always be in the fridge. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just turning the mirror back on yourself and not to say necessarily that it's your fault that something has happened in your relationship or that everything is your mm. responsibility in the relationship, but that reflection doesn't need to... Um, I guess, place blame immediately. It can just be as simple as the mirrors just flip back. Let's just have a look. We might not find anything, but maybe we'll find a story that we've been subtly and secretly placing in the relationship without like anyone actually knowing. <laughs> okay. What I think I'd like to get to now is how we can implement boundaries and um, I guess the tools we can do to maintain safe boundaries in our relationships because they are like, it's always a co topic of conversation in terms of relationships, how boundaries are so important. So I guess from your perspective and your knowledge and your research, um, how can we implement boundaries? Great question. And it is probably the one that I get asked a lot. And normally from people that are already in relationships that have got dissatisfaction. So they got kind of got stuck in dissatisfaction, which happens to so many relationships. There's the first date bit, dissatisfaction, and then it never gets to resolution. And people are hoping that boundaries will be part of the resolution strategy. And I think it is. And so can I suggest to you, until you know what you want, as opposed to what you don't want, then it's impossible to set a boundary. So the first step in that boundary place is to be able to go, here's what I want in this relationship as opposed to what I don't want. It's good to write them both down. So, you know, again, that focus on what, what, what do I want? This is I, I want to be in a relationship where I can accept that we will take it in turns to do dumb things. I want to be in a relationship when that happens that we will be curious, not critical, that we'll offer support to each other and curiosity, not criticism and and uh, dismissive. So in the process of setting up what is okay and what's not okay and then sharing those things, that's the boundary. That's the beginning of the boundaries for you to be able to decide before you go. And, you know, I know some personality styles like to just, just go, let's see where this goes and then we'll work it out from there. That I think in relationships, in fairness to both parties is not a really fair 
place to be. There are some things that you would have in your life that you go, you know what, it's not negotiable. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. And to be able to be mindful of that so you can set up that boundary. So if you set a, you know, I want to be the kind of person who's got enough energy on a Saturday morning to get up early and climb a mountain or go surfing or do park run, that's the kind of person I want to be because I want to be able to do those things. And then you have someone who wants to keep you out of bed until, you know, two o'clock in the morning at the pub drinking and they clearly don't get that you might want to go uh, to bed at nine o'clock, um, then you know that there's a boundary there. That's kind of one of the things that now we need to talk about. How's this going to work? Could we do this on a Saturday night instead of a Friday night? Because I really love one of the things that fills my cup, which will make me even more available to you. So talking intention and impact, what does it mean? Then I would love to talk about, because I want to spend time with you and hang out with you. I just can't do it to two o'clock on a on a Friday night. In fact, I'm really going to struggle most nights because I'm a bit of an early bird. So uh, if we're going to continue this experiment or this dating or we're going to be in a some kind of relationship or friendship, how are we going to manage that? So it's being able to put it on the table early as opposed to hoping that maybe that might change. Yeah. You're in the habit of going to bed early and get up early and enjoy the beginning of the day that other person's not, they're at the other end of that. Talk about that's kind of some of the really, and I know it doesn't sound very sexy or exciting or passionate, but, you know, what's the intention? If this is going yeah. to be a potential experiment with a view to a longer-term relationship, you may want to have that conversation early or what those boundaries are early because you go, well, let's decide early. Like it's almost failing fast at some point. Yeah. You go, clearly this is not going to work no matter how. So I'm hoping it and we love being together and maybe there's some physical intimacy that's really a lot of fun. Then this turns from maybe to a potential long-term relationship to that project word that you yeah, mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is just a short-term thing. I'm learning about me. I'm learning about life and relationships. And this may not be the one because I can't see this going past three months because I'll be exhausted. I can't do it that way. Um, yeah. Where's the compromise? How does that work? And you then it comes back to an experiment if both parties know what that looks like. Yeah. That's I was the just... intention. Mm. You go. What's the impact? No, I was just going to say, what's the intention of what impact? What does it mean impact, for yeah. you to get your cup filled up on a Saturday morning? What does it mean for that person to go out and hang out with their mates until 2 o'clock? Yeah, yeah. You know? I was just thinking when you were saying that when you're self-aware enough to know your boundaries, that's when you can actually start figuring out whether you're compatible with that person because, like you said before, mm. I feel like I've been in a lot of, I guess, relationships where um, I'm a really early bird. I go to bed early and I wake up early and the clubbing scene is not my thing at all, whereas for them it was. Yeah. And that example yeah. that you said just before is literally how it's played out before I've brought to the table, look, I'm not really someone who you can take out very late because I'm going to need to go to bed. <laughs> Um, I'm really not really much fun after about 9 p.m. 
it's snooze you'll from there on it. <laughs> and um whereas like they're night owls and they're thinking oh yeah I really just want to like go out and like go for a walk late at night and go grab ice cream at like 2 a.m and it was so funny once I became self-aware that that was like that even time zone thing that boundary of prioritizing yeah. sleep because that's what makes me feel alive um once I was self-aware yeah. of that and I started communicating that's when I started realize realizing that because I wasn't willing to compromise on that boundary, then we weren't compatible. And I think yeah. like that's obviously a really safe and baseline example of number one, finding out what your boundaries are, but number two, learning if you're wanting to compromise on that or adjust your boundary. Um, but yeah. obviously in more serious situations, like for example, if you're someone who is like, okay, well, I feel like my boundary is that I don't want this to be an open relationship. That's my boundary. And then they're like, oh, but mm. I do want it to be an open relationship. Um, that's, I guess, my boundary. That's what I'm expecting from this relationship. Are you willing to compromise yeah. on yours? Or am I willing to compromise on mine? And it's that willing to compromise that communication that is so key because obviously in that situation, if you're not willing to compromise, both parties are going to be unhappy. And yeah. you're not compatible. Yeah, because yeah, now that sounds like a litigation, not a relationship. <laughs> uh, both people walk away unhappy going, what was that? It was miserable and it was no fun. Yeah. And yeah. that is the joy, Jess, I think, about getting really clear on what you want. What are your intentions for this? Mm. And when you do that, then it is even more clear about what you don't want. You know, what does it mean for you to have your cup built up? It means that I'm going to be even more loving and gracious and grateful and able to be available in a relationship, personal, professional, otherwise. And it's like makes it easy to say no when you know what you're saying yes to. So what does it mean for me? I remember just I, I got to take my other kids to school when they were in primary school, even in high school. And I had a client who said, oh, well, could we move the meeting now to Friday because I can't do Thursday? And I said, look, I'd love to be able to meet with you on Friday. I won't be able to, to be able to meet with you. I have another commitment. Oh, what's the commitment? Well, Friday is my morning to take the kids to school and be cooking up a breakfast and a storm. Well, can't you just do that on another day? Friday is my day. That's the chance and I build around that. So That's what you're saying, yeah, this is what I'm saying yes to. I'm I'm saying yes to a good night's sleep, not just because of the intention, but what does it mean? It meant a lot for me to have that time with my kids, easy boundary. People go, oh, do you want to come out for a few drinks after work? I'd love to. I would normally say yes, I won't be able to do that tonight. It's Friday night. It is swim in the pool and fish and chip night and then Disney movie night. And I'll be asleep before they will be. And um so I won't be able to join you tonight. I wouldn't even say the word no. I'd be like, I will or I won't, and then the commitment. I won't be able to uh, join you. I will be at home with the kids having that night. Um, and, so I won't you know, be able to. Yeah, That's such we'll, a good thing too because then you're yeah. clearly defining in even your mind what you're saying yes to because yeah. I know for myself as a people pleaser, it's number one, so hard to say no. But number two, yeah. as soon as I say no and I actually build up the bravery to do so, 
I'm like, oh, maybe I should still do it. Like, what am I missing out on? <laughs> and you focus on the yeah. no part rather than what you're saying yes to. And usually when I'm saying no, it's because the yes is so important to me. Like it's time to rest that I desperately need. Or maybe it is I need some introversion time or I'm prioritizing my health that day or something like that you know um, I have an appointment with the dentist that I've been dreading for weeks but I know I need to go to um whatever that is yes to yeah like even the dentist example you're saying yes to good long-term oral dental hygiene good health no trouble in 20 years time so doing the work so that's the case and I think it's a good point to remind people too that sometimes it links back to the value on what, what do you think is really important? Because I still think hanging out with my workmates from time to time is important too. And I value that. So even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it because I have an intention to build a healthy long-term relationship with my work buddies. So from time to time, even though I don't feel like it, I value that relationship. So I'm going to do what I value, not what I feel. Mm. You know, yeah. when you're owning yeah. compromise on that i think that's always my disclaimer on that piece to go okay kids no disney tonight because dad is going to be having a couple of drinks and a pizza with his workmates so we can catch up and this is how it's going to roll this time oh okay no worries um and they kind of go like, yeah, no yeah <laughs> well and i think because I what value I would Disney. Say, I value Disney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the balance. And you've all yeah. Well, in one relationship or those different competing interests, I, I, I love how you've hooked on to the when you say no, you're actually thinking about what you're saying yes to. And that's the joy of having clear intentions, clear impacts. What does it mean when you say no to going out to two o'clock? What have you said yes to? A cracker of a weekend, a good rest, early work start, all of those good yummy things. That's what you've said yes to. And that's the focus on that once you've had the courage to say what you won't be doing. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Brucey, for coming on the podcast. Of course, give us a little plug on where they can get in contact with you, find more information about you, get a hold of Happy Pants, which is his, I guess, value-based little project there. Um, Let the listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, sure. Look, the easiest way is www.brucesullivan.com, B-R-U-C-E-S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N.com. And um, you'll certainly find happy pants there and the story that goes with that. Um, Wishing you a top drawer life um, as opposed to life in the bottom drawer. Life in the top drawer is better for your physical and mental health and better for anyone who has to be in a relationship with you. And there's other resources and articles on there as well. So, Jesse, thanks for having us. You're a legend. I'm so proud of you and the work that you're doing to make this world a better place. So, oh, thank you so much. And seriously, value your time and all of your insight today. Um, Definitely need to do a part two. Yeah, that'd be fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you you very much. much. (laughs) Love you very much. (laughs) Um, 
to anyone who is listening for the first time today, make sure that you are following the page um, How's Your Heart on whatever platform you're listening to, as well as over on Instagram at How's Your Heart Pod. We post there all the time about everything to do from mental health, connection, vulnerability. I've got an amazing community over there and some resources as well. If you're interested in anything to do with this conversation, as well as more things to do with mental health and journaling, I have a journal guide that just came out it is a freebie you can find that in the bio on my instagram as well it is there for you guys to use and to benefit from and so just my little passion project that i wanted to share with you guys but apart from that guys i'll see you next week for your second episode of season three and yeah much love guys bye